A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. She was the guardian of the worlds, but her world was dead. The Gifts of Asti by Andre Norton. That's next on the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast. The first story we ever narrated by Andre Norton, All Cats Are Gray, was so popular that we decided to do another one of her stories as soon as possible. I had never heard of the publication Fantasy Book, which, like many publications of the time, didn't last long. Fantasy Book published eight issues from 1947 through 1951 and then disappeared for more than 30 years, with one issue in 1985 and another in 1986. From Fantasy Book, Volume 1, Number 3, in July 1948, our story is found on page 8, The Gifts of Asti, by Andre Norton. Even here, on the black terrace before the forgotten mountain retreat of Asti, it was possible to smell the dank stench of burning memphir. To imagine that the dawn wind bore upward from the pillaged city, the faint tortured cries, of those whom the barbarians of Clem hunted to their prolonged death. Indeed, it was time to leave. Varda, last of the virgin maidens of Asti, shivered. The scaled and wattled creature who crouched beside her thigh turned his reptilian head so that golden eyes met the aquamarine ones set slantingly at a faintly provocative angle in her smooth ivory face. We go? She nodded in answer to that unvoiced question Lur had sent into her brain, and turned toward the dark cavern, which was the mouth of Asti's last dwelling place. Once, more than a thousand years before, 
When the walls of Menfir were young, Asti had lived among men below. But in the richness and softness which was trading Memphir, empire of empires, Asti found no place. So he and those who served him had withdrawn to this mountain outcrop, and she, Varta, was the last, the very last to bow knee at Asti's shrine and raise her voice in the dawn hymn, for Lur, as were all his race, was mute. Even the loot of Memphir would not sate the shaggy-headed warriors who had stormed her gates this day. The stairway to Asti's temple was plain enough to see, and there would be those to essay the steep climb, hoping to find a treasure which did not exist. For Asti was an austere god, delighting in plain walls and bare altars, his last priest had lain in the grave niches these three years. There would be none to hold that gate against intruders. Varda passed between tall, uncarved pillars, Lur padding beside her, his spine mane erect, the talons on his forefeet clicking on the stone in steady rhythm. So they came into the innermost shrine of Asti. And there Varda made graceful obeisance to the great cowled and robed figure which sat enthroned, its hidden eyes focused upon its own outstretched hand, and above the flattened palm of that wide hand hung suspended in space the round orange-red sunball, which was twin to the sun that lighted herb. Around the miniature sun swung in their orbits the four worlds of the system, each obeying the laws of space, even as did the planets they represented. Memphir has fallen. Varda's voice sounded rusty in her own ears. She had spoken so seldom during the last lonely months. Evil has risen to overwhelm our world, even as it was prophesied in your revelations, O ruler of worlds and maker of destiny. Therefore, obeying the order given of old, I would depart from this, thy house. Suffer me now to fulfill the law. Three times she prostrated her slim body on the stones at the foot of Asti's judgment chair. Then she arose, and with the confidence of a child in its father, she laid her hand palm upward upon the outstretched hand of Asti. Beneath her flesh the stone was not cold and hard, but seemed to have an inner heat, even as might a human hand. For a long moment she stood so, and then she raised her hand slowly, carefully, as if within its slight hollow she cupped something precious. And as she drew her hand away from the grasp of Asti, the tiny sun and its planets followed spinning now above her palm, as they had above the statues. But out of the cowled figure, some virtue had departed with the going of the miniature solar system. It was now but a carving of stone, and Varda did not look at it again as she passed behind its bulk to seek a certain place in the temple wall, known to her from much reading of the old records. Having found the stone she sought, she moved her hand in a certain pattern before it, so that the faint radiance streaming from the tiny sun gleamed on the grayness of the wall.
there was a grating, as from metal long unused, and a block fell back, opening a narrow door to them. Before she stepped within, the priestess lifted her hand above her head, and when she withdrew it, the sun and planets remained to form a diadem just above the intricate braiding of her dull red hair. As she moved into the secret way, the five orbs swung with her, and in the darkness, there the sun glowed richly, sending out a light to guide their feet. They were at the top of a stairway, and the hollow clang of the stone as it moved back into place behind them echoed through a gulf which seemed endless. But that, too, was as the chronicles had said, and Varda knew no fear. How long they journeyed down into the maw of the mountain, and beyond that, into the womb of herb itself, Varda never knew. But when feet were weary, and she knew the bite of real hunger, they came into a passageway, which ended in a room hollowed of solid rock. And there, preserved in the chest in which men born in the youth of Memphir had laid them, Varda found that which would keep her safe on the path she must take. She put aside the fine silks, the jeweled cincture, which had been the badge of Asti's service, and drew on over her naked body a suit of scaled skin, gemmed and glistening in the rays of the small sun. There was a hood to cover the entire head, taloned gloves for the hands, webbed clawed coverings for the feet. As if the skin of a giant man-like lizard had been tanned and fashioned into this suit, and Varda suspected that that might be so. The world of herb had not always been held by the humankind alone. There were supplies here, too, lying untouched in ageless containers within a lizard-skin pouch. Varda touched her tongue without fear to a powdered restorative, sharing it with Lur, whose own mailed skin would protect him through the dangers to come. She folded the regalia she had stripped off and laid it in the chest, smoothing it regretfully before she dropped the lid upon its shimmering color. Never again would Asti's servant wear the soft stuff of his livery. But she was resolute enough when she picked up the food pouch and strode forward, passing out of the robing chamber into a narrowed way, which was a natural fault in the rock, unsmoothed by the tools of man. But when this rocky road ended upon the lip of a gorge, Varda hesitated, plucking at the throat latch of her hood-like helmet. Through the unclouded crystal of its eye holes, she could see the sprouts of yellow vapor which puffed from crannies in the rock wall down which she must climb. If the records of the temple spoke true, these curls of gas were death to all lunged creatures of the upper world. She could only trust that the cunning of the scaled hood would not fail her. The long talons fitted to the fingertips of the gloves. The claws of the web foot coverings clamped fast to every hand and foothold. But the way down was long, and she caught a message of weariness from Lur before they reached the piled rocks at the foot of the cliff. The puffs of steamy gas had become a fog, through which they groped their way slowly.
following a trace of path along the base of the cliff. Time did not exist in the underworld of Herb. Varda did not know whether it was still today or whether she had passed into tomorrow when they came to a crossroads. She felt Lur press against her, forcing her back against a rock. There is a thing coming. His message was clear. And in a moment, she too saw a dark hulk nosing through the vapor. It moved slowly, seeming to balance at each step as if travel was a painful act. But it bore steadily to the meeting of the two paths. It is no enemy. But she did not need that reassurance from Lur. Unearthly as the thing looked, it had no menace. With a last twist of ungainly body, the creature squatted on a rock and clawed the clumsy covering it wore about its bone-thin shoulders and domed skull head. The visage it revealed was long and gray, with dark pits for eyes and a gaping, fang-studded, lipless mouth. Who are you who dare to tread the forgotten ways and rouse from slumber the guardian of the chasms? The question was a shrill whine in her brain. Her hands half arose to cover her ears. I am Varda, maiden of Asti. Memphir has fallen to the barbarians of the outer lands, and now I go, as Asti once ordered. The guardian considered her answer gravely. In one skeleton claw it fumbled a rod, and with this it now traced certain symbols in the dust before Varda's webbed feet. When it had done, the girl stooped and altered two of the lines with a swift stroke from one of her talons. The creature of the chasm nodded its misshapen head. Asti does not rule here, but long and long and long ago there was a pact made with us in his name. Pass free from us, woman of the light. There are two paths before you. The guardian paused for so long that Varda dared to prompt it. Where do they lead, guardian of the dark? This will take you down into my country. It jerked the rod to the right. And that way is death for creatures from the surface world. The other, in our legends, it is said to bring a traveler out into the upper world. Of the truth of that, I have no proof. But that one I must take. She made slight obeisance to the huddle of bones and dank cloak on the rock, and it inclined its head in grave courtesy. With Lur pushing a little ahead, she took the road which ran straight into the flume-veiled darkness. Nor did she turn to look again at the thing from the chasm world. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. They began to climb again, across slimed rock where there were evil trails of other things which lived in this haunted darkness. But the son of Asti lighted their way, and perhaps some virtue in the rays from it kept away the makers of such trails. When they pulled themselves up onto a wide ledge, the talons on Varda's gloves were worn to splintered stubs, and there was a bright girdle of pain about her aching body. Lur lay panting beside her his red-forked tongue protruding from his foam-ringed mouth. We walk again the ways of men. Lur was the first to note the tool marks on the stone where they lay. By the will of Asti, we may win out of this maze after all. Since there were no signs of the deadly steam, Varda dared to push off her hood and share with her companion the sustaining power she carried in her pouch. There was a freshness to the air they breathed, damp and cold though it was, which hinted of the upper world. The ledge sloped upwards, at a steep angle at first, and then more gently. Lure slipped past her and thrust head and shoulders through a break in the rock. Grasping his neck spines, she allowed him to pull her through that narrow slit into the soft blackness of a surface night. They tumbled down together. Varda's head pillowed on Lur's smooth side, and so slept as the sun and worlds of Asti whirled protectingly above them. A whir of wings in the air above her head awakened Varda. One of the small, jewel-bright flying lizard creatures of the deep jungle poised and dipped to investigate more closely the worlds of Asti. But at Varda's upflung arm, it uttered a rasping cry and planed down into the mass of vegetation below. By the glint of sunlight on the stone around them, the day was already well advanced. Varda tugged at Lur's mane until he roused. There was a regularity to the rocks piled about their sleeping place which hinted that they had lain among the ruins left by man. But of this side of the mountains both were ignorant, for Memphir's rule had not run here. Many dead things in times past. Lur's scarlet nostril pits were extended to their widest, but that was long ago. This land is no longer held by men. Vardo laughed cheerfully. If there are no men, then there will rise no barbarian hordes to dispute our rule. Asti has led us to safety. Let us see more of the land he gives us. There was a road leading down from the ruins, a road still to be followed in spite of the lash of landslip and the crack of time. And it brought them into a cup of green fertility where the lavishness of Asti's sowing was unchecked by man. 
Varda seized eagerly upon globes of blood-red fruit, which she recognized as delicacies, which had been cultivated in the temple gardens, while Lur went hunting into the fringes of the jungle, there dining on prey so easily caught as to be judged devoid of fear. The jungle-choked highway curved, and they were suddenly fronted by a desert of sear desolation, a desert floored by glassy slag, which sent back the sunbeams in a furnace glare. Varda shaded her eyes and tried to see the end of this, but if there was a distant rim of green beyond, the heat distortions in the air concealed it. Lur put out a front paw to test the slag, but withdrew it instantly. It cooks the flesh. We cannot walk here, was his verdict. Varda pointed with her chin to the left, where, some distance away, the mountain wall paralleled their course. Then let us keep to the jungle over there and see if it does not bring around to the far side. But what made this? She leaned out over the glassy stuff, not daring to touch the slick surface. War. Lur's tongue shot out to impale a questioning beetle. These forgotten people fought with fearsome weapons. But what weapon could do this? Memphir knew not such. Memphir was old. But mayhap there were those who raised cities on herb before the first hut of Memphir squatted on tidal mud. Men forget knowledge in time. Even in Memphir, the lords of the last days forgot the wisdom of their earlier sages. They fell before the barbarians easily enough. If ever men had wisdom to produce this, it was not Avasti's giving. She edged away from the glare. Let us go. But now they had to fight their way through jungle, and it was hard until they reached a ridge of rock running out from the mountain as a tongue thrust into the blasted valley. And along this they picked their slow way. There is water near. Lur's thought answered the girl's desire. She licked dry lips longingly. This way. Her companion's sudden turn was to the left, and Varda was quick to follow him down a slide of rock. Lur's instinct was right as it ever was. There was water before them, a small lake of it. But even as he dipped his fanged muzzle toward that inviting surface, Lur's spined head jerked erect again. Varda snatched back the hand she'd put out, staring at Lur's strange actions. His nostrils expanded to their widest, his long neck outstretched. He was swinging his head back and forth across the limpid shallows. What is it? This is no water such as we know, the scaled one answered flatly. It has life within it. Varda laughed. Fish, water snakes, your own distant kin, Lur. It is the scent of them which you catch. No, it is the water itself which lives, and yet does not live. His thought trailed away from her as he struggled with some problem. No human brain could follow his unless he willed it so. Varda squatted back on her heels and began to look at the water and then at the banks with more care. 
For the first time, she noted the odd patches of brilliant color which floated just below the surface of the liquid. Blue, green, yellow, crimson, they drifted slowly with the tiny waves which lapped the shore. But they were not alive. She was almost sure of that. They appeared more a part of the water itself. Watching the voyage of one patch of green, she caught sight of the branch. It was a drooping shoot of the turby, the same tree vine which produced the fruit she had relished less than an hour before. Above the water dangled a cluster of the fruit, dead ripe with the sweet pulp stretching its skin. But below the surface of the water, Varda's breath hissed between her teeth, and Lur's head snapped around as he caught her thought. The branch below the water bore a perfect circle of green flowers close to its tip, the flowers which the turby had borne naturally seven months before, and which should long ago have turned into just such sweetness as hung above. With Lur at her heels, the girl edged around to pull cautiously at the branch. It yielded at once to her touch, swinging its tip out of the lake. She sniffed. There was a languid perfume in the air, the perfume of the blooming turby. She examined the flowers closely. To all appearances, they were perfect and natural. It preserves. Lur settled back on his haunches and waved one front paw at the quiet water. What goes into it remains as it was just at the moment of entrance. But if this is seven months old, it may be seven years old, corrected Lur. How can you tell when that branch first dipped into the lake? Yet the flowers do not fade, even when withdrawn from the water. This is indeed a mystery, of which I would know more. Varda dropped the turby and started on around the edge of the lake. Twice more they found similar evidence of preservation in flower or leaf, wherever it was covered by the opaline water. The lake itself was a long and narrow slash, with one end cutting into the desert of glass, while the other wet the foot of the mountain. And it was there, on the slope of the mountain, that they found the greatest wonder of all, Lur scenting it before they sighted the remains among the stones. Man-made, he cautioned, but very, very old. And truly the wreckage they came upon must have been old, perhaps even older than Memphir, for the part which rested above the water was almost gone, rusty red stains on the rocks outlining where it had lain. But underwater was a smooth silver hull, shining and untouched by the years. Varda laid her hand upon a ruddy scrap between two rocks, and it became a drift of powdery dust. And yet, there a few feet below was strong metal. Lur padded along the scrap of shore, surveying the thing. It was a machine in which men traveled. His thoughts arose to her, but they were not as the men of Memphir, perhaps not even as the sons of Herb. Not as the sons of Herb? Her astonishment broke into open speech. 
Lur's neck twisted as he looked up at her. Did the men of Herb, even in the old chronicles, fight with weapons such as would make a desert of glass? There are other worlds than Herb. Mayhap this strange thing was a skyship from such a world. All things are possible by the will of Asti. Varda nodded. All things are possible by the will of Asti, she repeated. But Lur, her eyes were round with wonder. Perhaps it is Asti's will which brought us here to find this marvel. Perhaps he has some use for us and it. At least we may discover what lies within it. Lur had his own share of curiosity. How? The two of us cannot draw that out of the water. No, but we can enter into it. Varda fingered the folds of the hood on her shoulders. She knew what Lur meant. The suit which had protected her in the underworld was impervious to everything outside its surface or to every substance its makers knew, just as Lur's own hide made his flesh impenetrable. But the fashioners of her suit had probably never known of the living lake. And what if she had no defense against the strange properties of the water? She leaned back against a rock. Overhead, the worlds and son of Asti still traveled their appointed paths. The worlds of Asti, if it was his will which had brought them here, then Asti's power would wrap her round with safety. By his will, she had come out of Memphir over ways no human of her but ever trod before. Could she doubt that his protection was with her now? It took only a moment to make secure the webbed shoes, to pull on and fasten the hood, to tighten the buckles of her gloves. Then she crept forward, shuddering as the water rose about her ankles. But Lur pushed on before her, his head disappearing fearlessly under the surface as he crawled through the jagged opening in the ship below. Smashed engines, which had no meaning in her eyes, occupied most of the broken section of the wreck. None of the metal showed any deterioration beyond that which had occurred at the time of the crash. Under her exploring hands, it was firm and whole. Lur was pulling at a small door, half hidden by a mass of twisted wires and plates, and just as Varda crawled around this obstacle to join him, the barrier gave way, allowing them to squeeze through into which had once been the living quarters of the ship. Varda recognized seats, a table, and other bits of strictly utilitarian furniture. But of those who had once been at home there, there remained no trace. Lur, having given one glance to the furnishings, was prowling about the far end of the cabin uncertainly, and now he voiced his uneasiness. There is something beyond something which once had life. Varda crowded up to him. To her eyes, the wall seemed without line of an opening, and yet Lur was running his broad front paws over it carefully, now and then throwing his weight against the smooth surface. There is no door, she pointed out doubtfully. No door. Ah, 
here. Lure unsheathed, formidable fighting claws to their full length, for perhaps the first time in his temple-sheltered life, and endeavored to work them into a small crevice. The muscles of his forelegs and quarters stood out in sharp relief under his scales. His fangs were bears, his lips snapped back with effort. Something gave. A thin black line appeared to mark the edges of a door. Then time, or Lur's strength, broke the ancient locking mechanism. The door gave so suddenly that they were both sent hurtling backward, and Lur's breath burst from him in a huge bubble. The sealed compartment was hardly more than a cupboard, but it was full. Spread-eagled against the wall was a four-limbed creature whose form was so smothered in a bulky suit that Varda could only guess that it was akin in shape to her own. Hoops of metal locked it firmly to the wall, but the head had fallen forward so that the faceplate in the helmet was hidden. Slowly, the girl breasted the water which filled the cabin and reached her hands toward the bowed helmet of the prisoner. Gingerly, her blunted talons scraping across metal, she pulled it up to her eye level. The eyes of that which stood within the suit were closed, as if in sleep, but there was a warm, healthy tint to the bronze skin, so different in shade to her own pallid coloring. For the rest, the prisoner had the two eyes, the centered nose, the properly shaped mouth which were common to the men of herb. Hair grew on his head, black and thick, and there was a faint shadow of beard on his jawline. This is a man, her thought reached Lur. Why not? Did you expect a serpent? It is a pity he is dead. Varda felt a rich warm tide rising in her throat to answer that teasing half-question. There were times when Lur's thought reading was annoying. He had risen to his hind legs so that he, too, could look into the shell, which held their find. Yes, a pity, he repeated. But a vision of the turby flowers swept through her mind. Had Lur suggested it, or had that wild thought been hers alone? Only this ship was so old, so very old. Lur's red tongue flicked. It can do no harm to try, he suggested slyly, and set his claws into the hoop holding the captive's right wrist, testing its strength. But the metal on the shore, it crumpled into powder at my touch, she protested. What if we carry him out only to have, to have... Her mind shuddered away from the picture which followed. Did the turby blossoms fade when pulled out? countered Lur. There is a secret to these fastenings. He pulled and pried impatiently. Varda tried to help, but even their united strength was useless against the force which held the loops in place. Breathless, the girl slumped back against the wall of the cabin, while Lur settled down on his haunches. One of the odd patches of color drifted by, its vivid scarlet like a jewel spiraling lazily upward. 
Varda's eyes followed its drift, and so were guided to what she had forgotten. The worlds of Asti. Asti! Lur was looking up, too. The power of Asti! Varda's hand went up, rested for a long moment under the sun, and then drew it down carefully, slowly, as she had in Memphir's temple. Then she stepped towards the captive. Within her hood, a beaded line of moisture outlined her lips. A pulse thundered on her temple. This was a fearsome thing to try. She held the sun on a line with one of the wrist bonds. She must avoid the flesh it imprisoned, for Asti's power could kill. From the sun, there shot an orange-red beam to strike full upon the metal. A thin line of red crept across the smooth hoop, crept and widened. Varda raised her hand, sending the sun spinning up, and Lur's claws pulled on the metal. It broke like rotten wood in his grasp. The girl gave a little gasp of half-terrified delight. Then the old legends were true. As Asti's priestess, she controlled powers too great to guess. Swiftly, she loosed the other hoops and restored the sun and worlds to their place over her head as the captive slumped across the threshold of his cell. Tugging and straining, they brought him out of the broken ship into the sunlight of Herb. Varda threw back her hood and breathed deeply of the air which was not manufactured by the wizardry of the lizard skin, and Lur sat panting, his nostril flaps open. It was he who spied the spring on the mountainside above, a spring of water uncontaminated by the strange life of the lake. They both dragged themselves there to drink deeply. Varda returned to the lake shore reluctantly. Within her heart, she believed that the man they had brought from the ship was truly dead. Lur might hold out the promise of the flowers, but this was a man, and he had lain in the water for countless ages. So she went with lagging steps to find Lur busy. He had solved the mystery of the spacesuit and had stripped it from the unknown. Now his clawed paw rested lightly on the bared chest, and he turned to Varda eagerly. There is life. Hardly daring to believe that, she dropped down beside Lur and touched their prize. Lur was right. The flesh was warm, and she had caught the faint rhythm of shallow breath. Half remembering old tales, she put her hands on the arch of the lower ribs and began to aid that rhythm. The breaths were deeper. Then the man half-turned. His arm moved. Varda and Lur drew back. For the first time, the girl probed gently the sleeping mind before her. Even as she had read the minds of those few of Memphir who had ascended to the temple precincts in the last days, much of what she read now was confused, or so alien to Herb that it had no meaning for her. But she saw a great city plunged into flaming death in an instant and felt the horror and remorse of the man at her feet because of his own part in that act. 
the horror and remorse which had led him to open rebellion, and so to his imprisonment. There was a last dark and frightening memory of a door closing on light and hope. The spaceman moaned softly and hunched his shoulders as if he struggled vainly to tear loose from bonds. He thinks that he is still prisoner, observed Lur. For him, life begins at the very point it ended, even as it did for the turby flowers. See, now he awakens. The eyelids rose slowly, as if the man hated to see what he must look upon. Then, as he sighted Varda and Lur, his eyes went wide. He pulled himself up and looked dazedly around, striking out wildly with his fists. Catching sight of the clumsy suit Lur had taken from him, he pulled at it, looking at the two before him as if he feared some attack. Varda turned to Lur for help. She might read minds and use the wordless speech of Lur, but his people knew the art of such communication long before the first priest of Asti had stumbled upon their secret. Let Lur now quiet this outlander. Delicately, Lur sought a way into the other's mind, twisting down paths of thought strange to him. Even Varda could not follow the subtle waves sent forth in the quick examination and reconnoitering, nor could she understand all of the conversation which resulted. For the man from the ancient ship answered in speech aloud, sharp, harsh sounds of no meaning. It was only after repeated instruction from Lur that he began to frame his messages in his mind, clumsily and disconnectedly. Pictures of another world, another solar system, began to grow more clear as the spaceman became more at home in the new way of communication. He was one of a race who would come to Herb from beyond the stars and discovered it a world without human life. So they had established colonies and built great cities far different from Memphir and had lived in peace for centuries of their own time. Then, on the faraway planet of their birth, there had begun a great war, a war which brought flaming death to all that world. The survivors of a last battle in outer space had fled to the colonies on Herb, but among this handful were men driven mad by the death of their world. And these had blasted the cities of Herb, saying that their kind must be wiped out. The man they had rescued had turned against one such maddened leader and had been imprisoned just before an attack upon the largest of the colony cities. After that, he remembered nothing. Varda stopped trying to follow the conversation. Lur was only explaining now how they found the spaceman and brought him out of the wrecked ship. No human on herb, this one had said. And yet, were there not her own people? The ones who had built Memphir? And what of the barbarians? Who, ruthless and cruel as they seem by the standards of Memphir, were indeed men. Whence had they come, then, the men of Memphir and the ancestors of the barbarian hordes? 
Her hands touched the scaled skin of the suit she still wore and then rubbed across her own smooth flesh. Could one have come from the other? Was she of the blood and heritage of Lur? Not so. Lur's mind, as quick as his flickering tongue, had caught that panic-born thought. You are of the blood of this space-wanderer. Men from the riven colonies must have escaped to safety. Look at this man. Is he not like the men of Memphir, as they were in the olden days of the city's greatness? The stranger was tall, taller than the men of Memphir, and there was a certain hardness about him, which those city-dwellers in ease had never displayed. But Lur must be right. This was a man of her race. She smiled in sudden relief, and he answered that smile. Lur's soft laughter rang in both their heads. Asti, in his infinite wisdom, can see through centuries. Memphir has fallen because of its softness and the evil doing of its people, and the barbarians will now have their way with the lands of the north. But to me, it appears that Asti is not yet done with the pattern he was weaving there. To each of you he granted a second life. Do not disdain the gifts of Asti, daughter of Herb. Again, Varda felt the warm tide of blood rise in her cheeks. But she no longer smiled. Instead, she regarded the outlander speculatively. Not even a maiden of the temple could withstand the commands of the All-Highest. Gifts from the hand of Asti dared not be thrown away. Above the puzzlement of the stranger, she heard the chuckling of Lur. The End Next on the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast, a touching tale of an astronet and why the gentle rain from heaven has the quality of mercy. I Bring Fresh Flowers by Robert F. Young. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 